continue in, in chapter 6 this morning. If you're with us and you don't have a Bible, men are coming up the aisles right now with Bibles, and if you wave to them, they'll put a Bible in your hand this morning, marked to our passage for your convenience. And if you don't own a Bible, please make that Bible a gift uh, from the Lord to you today. Romans chapter 6, picking things up in verse 11. Paul writes, by the Spirit of God, to Christians, likewise you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are no, not under law but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, that you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin that leads to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness, and we all did, and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. <clears throat> Excuse me. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, uh, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ and significantly our Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We've already sung that to you and, and so glad to always express that. You've been so good to us, so faithful to us. You're so wise and, and discerning, and you just operate with in, in perf just perfect measures within our life. We thank you for all that we know about you. We thank you not only for what you've done for us, but we thank you for who you are. And we thank you for your love for us, Lord. And I just pray for every man and woman that's standing before you right now that, again, even as we sang this morning, that they would be confident, that each of us would be confident in your great love for us today. We pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, and we pray that you would just commune with us now in the privacy of our heart and within this room as we study your word, and we pray that you would speak through your word into our lives and into our relationship with you this morning. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. 
As we mentioned uh, last week in coming to uh, chapter 6 of the book of Romans, and really it includes chapter 7 and 8 as well, we've come to the section of the letter that has to do with this uh, great theme of sanctification, uh, the, uh, that not only does God's plan and gift of salvation that we receive by putting our faith in Jesus Christ provide us with the forgiveness of sins past. Not only does it provide us with the confidence of uh, heaven in the future, but it also provides us with the power to live a godly, Christ-like life now. It frees us from the power of sin, and it allows us to live what is oftentimes called a victorious Christian life. And all of that both God's grace expressed in the forgiveness of sins and then His grace expressed in giving us a power to live a victorious Christian life. All of it is an expression of God's grace. I think it's very important to realize that as Christians, while our justification occurs in a moment, that is our spiritual birth, that, that uh, moment of the forgiveness of our sins and we're born again, all of that happens in a Christian in an instant in time. Uh, it, but our sanctification is a process. It is a process that the Holy Spirit will continue in in our lives all of the days of our lives until one day we enter into heaven and uh, whereupon we will be made perfectly holy at that moment. So sanctification isn't something that's instant. Sanctification is a process that will occur uh, during the entire length of our life. As we saw last week in chapter 6, Paul uh, does something very wonderful for us as Christians in that he brings out four keys to living the victorious Christian life. It's not enough just to talk about a victorious Christian life. All that will make us do is uh, drool spiritually. How in the world do we achieve it? How can we make it a part of our lives? And uh, he encapsulated the keys to the victorious Christian life in four simple words, at least in my understanding of, of Romans 6. And the first word is the word no, uh, recorded in verses 3, 6, and 9. And then the word reckon, as we read in verse 11. And then the word present, as we read in verses uh, 13 and 14. And then the word slave, that he repeats some eight times in verses 15 through 23. We look uh, last week in verses 1 through 10, we examined the first of those four words, the word uh, know, what we are to know as Christians uh, in order to experience the victorious Christian life over sin. And we made mention of it uh, briefly, but I want to uh, rethink about it here this morning. Uh, it's interesting if you were to, you know, somebody was going to get up and say, I'm going to talk to you about the victorious Christian life. We might al almost be shocked that someone like the Apostle Paul might begin with our knowing, uh, that the victorious Christian life begins with the importance of knowing certain things. Uh, it begins with our thinking. It begins with proper thinking, and it begins with accepting as we saw last week, three great truths about ourselves as Christians. And the first great truth is that we're never to settle for a Christian life that is marked by deliberate or habitual sin. 
that Jesus was not born into the world uh, in his incarnation, live here for 33 and a half years, die on that cross, and then rise again on the third day in order to provide mankind with a Christianity uh, that is dominated by, uh, willfully by habitual and deliberate sin. Paul said concerning that, God forbid that any Christian would think that that's uh, what has been provided to us and would make that their Christianity. Second, he told us the thing that we're to know is that we've died to sin because we are no longer the same person upon becoming a Christian that we were before we became a Christian. We're under new management, the management of the Holy Spirit. God Almighty and the person of the Holy Spirit has come into our lives. It's an astonishing uh, miracle, and we are a new creation as a result of it. We have died to sin. And then third, we no longer need to obey our old sin nature, that while we're always going to have a sin nature that we have to deal with and we have to address for the uh, remainder of this uh, pilgrimage and that we have to contend with. We don't need to be a slave to sin because that old sin nature has been rendered inoperative by the greater person within our life, greater than our old man, and a greater power that has been brought into our life by that greater person, the Holy Spirit, he has brought a greater power into our life than even the pull of the old nature and the sin nature that we have received from Adam. And now having held those thoughts for a week, we now move on to the other three words, the word reckon, the word present, and slave. He tells us there, as we see in verses 11 and 12, the second key to experience, experiencing the victorious Christian life is in reckoning all of these things that uh, we are to know, to actually uh, not only know them, but to reckon them to be true, uh, reckoning myself to be dead to sin. And the word uh, reckon in verse 11, it literally means to accept as fact. We use the word reckon within our culture. Somebody says something, and someone else might say, well, I reckon. And the idea is, well, maybe it's so, maybe it's not so. But that's not how the word reckon is used in the Bible, nor how it's used here. It literally means to accept as fact. In other words, Paul is saying to us, related to the victorious Christian life, that I am to accept these truths, these no's that I just recapped for us here, to accept them as facts about myself as a Christian. And, and to recognize that they are true of every single person who's been born again and, to, and in order to experience the victorious Christian life. In other words, these knows that Paul has laid out to us, God knows them to be true about us. Heaven knows them to be true about us. There's no log jam there. There's no problem there. There's no bumper hiccup there. The hiccup is in us accepting them to be absolute facts concerning our lives as Christians because of the miracle of the spiritual birth by the Holy Spirit. And with the word reckon, what the Holy Spirit does here in, in Romans chapter 6 is he takes sanctification now 
to uh, another, uh, a, a step further uh, beyond knowing. Uh, a person can uh, possess a world of information on anything and never allow that information to ever uh, affect their thinking or their mindset uh, to reckon something to actually reckon it to be true means that I'm going to now actively apply it to my thinking. I'm going to uh, put it into action. We can know a world of things that never translate into our decision-making or, or uh, in, into uh, deep thinking on our part. I, I think of a, a classic example of this in one of the hospitals that is in town. Uh, it, it, it's uh, outside smoking area. Uh, is within view of one of the main parking lots of the hospital. And anytime you want to go visit somebody in that hospital, you'll see the area is, is absolutely full of people, uh, you know, grabbing a cigarette outside. Well, n nothing about that astonishes us, us at all, except to see how many of them are in medical uniforms, uh, and, and it isn't that they don't know that smoking is bad for you. Uh, they have all of the knowledge in the world related uh, to, to that. But here's this deal where we can know so much about everything, even sin. Even know it about sin related to our individual lives. Uh, but, uh, but we never ever take those truths and then actually reckon them, accept them as facts concerning our lives, and then begin to live as if they are actually the, 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 the facts and the truth about our Christian lives. And so, for example, when our old nature, our flesh, uh, is being drawn to some sin, uh, perhaps toward uh, the same old sin in our life, when that sin rises up and it tells me, as it always tells me, and as it always tells you, it comes forth with its temptation, and when it tells me that I am as powerless to resist it as ever before, I am to stop in that moment and then to remind myself that this is no longer true about me that I am now redeemed and I am a liberated person, and then to stand up and reckon it to be true and to declare to my old man, to my old nature, to say, God Almighty says that I no longer have to obey you. You have been rendered inoperative within my life by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life. I am under new management. I'm under the management of the Holy Spirit. You do not control me any longer. My former relationship with you is broken. It is over. I reckon myself to be dead to you. And we put that bad boy in his place because he needs to be put in his place within our lives. And we are to do this with the absolute confidence that this is now the truth about me as a Christian. And every single day, every single one of us uh, is involved in a day-long conversation with ourselves. It goes on inside of our heads. Each and every one of us are in, engaged in that. 
And very often that conversation that is going on inside of our heart and inside of our mind is going on between the old man, who we were and are because of Adam, and then our new man, who we are, the, the new creation, the new spiritual life and person that we are in the Holy Spirit. And this victorious Christian life begins, it begins with winning that conversation with the old man. And we win that conversation as we win every conversation and dispute. We win it with facts. And the fact is that we no longer have to obey our old nature any longer. We now possess the power to live for God and the power to obey Him. And that single great truth, as Paul is laying it out in the passage, is to dominate my thinking in the face of temptation because it is the truth about my life as a Christian. It is not something that I hope is true or will one day be true. Paul says this is true about each and every one of us the moment we were born again. The, the Greek word for a reckon there is uh, logis uh, omai, uh, oh and it means to reckon, it means to count, to compute, to calculate. It is actually an accounting term. If I, uh, logis omai, oh or I reckon that my bank book has a thousand dollars in it, then it has a thousand dollars in it. Logiosmai, like all accounting, does not deal in philosophy. It does not deal in theory. Accounting deals with facts. In other words, if God has told me that this ability is in my spiritual bank account, then I can be sure that it's there. I can reckon it so, I can accept it as a fact, I can act upon it, and when I do, I will always discover it to be true. Again, this goes beyond my knowing. It goes beyond my knowing something to be true. It is to take an additional step further and apply that truth to my believing and then to my decision-making. And, of course, that's critical because all of these battles that go on inside of our heart and inside of our mind as Christians, the battle between the old man and the new man, all those battles are won and lost in the realm of the will and the mind and, and, and long before they're ever won or lost in the realm of, of our actions. Uh, Bob Dylan got this perfect uh, in his song, uh, Going to Change My Way of Thinking, one of his early Christian albums, Slow Train Coming. Uh, and in his song, he wrote, Going to Change My Way of Thinking. Okay, I won't try it. Going to Change My Way of Thinking. Make myself a different set of rules. Going to Change My Way of Thinking. Make myself a different set of rules. Going to put one, going to put my good foot 
forward and stop being influenced by fools. And he's really onto something there uh, because sometimes the biggest fool we will meet every day uh, is ourselves. It is our old nature. And that fool needs to be put in his or her place uh, decision by decision and, and day by day. And so to reckon is to simply believe that what God says in his word is true concerning uh, our lives, it, that it is true, that we are dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse 11. And now, is before we move on to the second word, present, I, I want you to know that as, as I lay out last week's study and this week's study, I am speaking to the Christian who wants this life. I'm speaking to the Christian who is motivated to be holy, to be sanctified, wants to be free from sin. Uh, these are just words to the Christian who has no interest in that yet uh, in their lives. So I'm not leaning heavily on exhortation in these two messages because I'm assuming the motivation. The person who's, the Christian who's not yet sick of their sin, they're not yet sick of their self-dominated life. They're not sick of the bondage that it brings into their life. Uh, they're not sick of it at all. Well, they'll, they, that person will never know a victorious Christian life because they have no longing for it. And so uh, my purpose is just to assume the very best concerning uh, myself and each of us that this is something that we long for. And it comes with knowing certain things and then reckoning those things to be true in terms of my life, and, and it becomes a part of my decision-making. The third word is the word present, as we see it there in verses 13 and 14. Let's read it once again, verse 13. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourself to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law but under grace. And here Paul takes this victorious Christian life, and now he moves it beyond our thinking and uh, formally brings it now into the practical decision-making uh, in our lives, our actions. And he tells us that we are then to present our members uh, to God. And uh, he, when he talks about our members, he's talking about our body, that we're to present every part of our body to God for his plan and his purposes to be worked out through our lives. The word presented means literally to offer, to hand over. It carries the idea of surrendering, and it speaks of the fact that a key to the victorious Christian life is the surrender of our will for our lives to God, and then to present our members, every portion of our body, not 80%, not 90%, not 30%, but every, uh, uh, the entirety of our members, every part of our body, to present that to God for His plan and, and His purposes related to our lives. It, it is to say to God, Lord, I present my members to You, and I ask that You would use every portion of me 
from inside and out, from head to toe, that you will now use them uh, for righteousness, and that you will use them for righteousness just as fully as I once used them uh, for sin. And that's a prayer that God will always answer. It's to say to God, I surrender my life. I surrender my hands. I surrender my feet. I surrender my eyes. I surrender my ears. I surrender my mind. I surrender my uh, heart. I surrender uh, uh, my strength to you. I surrender them all to you and ask, now that you would use every portion of my life uh, for holy purposes. And he will always honor that prayer. And he will always honor that desire because he's put the desire within us. He's put the prayer within our heart. And it's a great way, of course, to begin any day. I think that it is a part of a devotional life as we begin our day in communing with God. And there's no better way to start a day. Uh, coffee's uh, allowable, so is tea. Hot chocolate as well is a part of all of it. But it is at beginning the day so important to have that uh, time of surrender. Lord, I recognize that my life is no longer my own, that it's been bought with a price, the price of the precious blood of your Son. I've already lived a life that's dominated by sin. I've already lived a self-will life. It's what drove me to you. And so this morning, I just sanctify myself. I just give you my eyes, my ears, my, uh, my thinking, my hands, my feet, my strength, my energy, everything. I give it to you now. I surrender it to you once again and ask that now you would use it for your glory today. And of course, the highest use of the human body is when it's used for uh, God's purposes and in accomplishing his will. And to not only do it to begin the day, but also as is necessary to do it throughout the day. Some temptation hits our eyes as we're making our way through life. And the old man wants to rise up and take uh, control of my eyes now and, uh, and for the gaze to linger or to take the second look. And in that moment, we stop and I say, no, Lord, I choose in the power of your Holy Spirit, I choose to present my eyes and my mind to you and your purposes. And so it can go on related to something that we're being told that is ungodly. Funny as all get out, but ungodly and not worthy of our heart or our mind or our ears. And to just stop and say, Lord, I just sanctify my ears uh, related to uh, this. I re-consecrate them to you. I represent them and surrender them uh, to you and to your voice. In, in this regard, I always think about the consecration of the priests in the Old Testament uh, simply because of the strength of the imagery. And when uh, Aaron, the high priest at the time, the brother of Moses, and uh, all of the other priests were being uh, consecrated by God, 
Part of the consecration service was that a ram was sacrificed, and then the blood of the ram was applied to, uh, for each of them to their right ear, also to the, their, the thumb of their right hand, and the big toe of their right foot. And you look at that and go, that's like a little weird, isn't it? But it wasn't. It was a symbolism uh, uh, because our, uh, uh, the ear represents our hearing and, and, uh, and our thinking. Uh, the, the right hand and the thumb of that right hand, it represents our doing. Uh, the, our, our feet represent our going, our direction in life. And it was a way in which the priests were constantly uh, reminded of the fact that our, our hearing and our doing and our going is to be surrendered to God. It's to be dominated to be God. It's to be consecrated uh, unto God. And the Holy Spirit uh, brings those uh, uh, that, that desire to consecrate our entire body to Him uh, even more fully than an Old Testament uh, ceremony. Paul addressed this uh, same issue of consecration in a similar way in his letter to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 4. Let me read it for you. He said, but you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus Christ, and then here for our purposes this morning, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of, my, of your mind. Not only putting off the old man, but then he says, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. He tells us on a moment-by-moment -moment basis, a day-by-day -day basis, that it involves the putting off of the old man and the putting on of the new man, saying no to the flesh and saying yes to uh, God in our lives, to, yes to the Holy Spirit. The imagery is very, very valuable in kind of picturing how this works within our lives. And the imagery is that Paul uses is you go to your closet in, in your bedroom. And as you go into that closet, you've got two outfits of clothing hanging there in the closet. You've got the one outfit that represents the old man. Uh, it's in tatters. It's filthy. And, uh, and it, it's who and what we were before we became Christians. And then there's a second outfit uh, that hangs in that closet, and it represents our new man, the new nature that we possess as a result of, of the spiritual birth. And, and Paul is teaching that every morning I go to that closet, spiritually speaking, as surely as I go to the physical closet and you go to the physical closet within your home to dress yourself physically and myself physically, each of us goes to a closet each and every day and we determine whether we're going to wear the old man or we're going to wear uh, the, the new man. A and we are to choose at the start of the day that we are going to put on and wear that new man, uh, that new nature. Both natures are there in the closet, 
Both natures are still present uh, within us. We're not going to be freed from this old nature until we get uh, into heaven. But I, I must choose uh, to put the, 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 the new nature has been provided, but I have to choose whether I will put it on each and every day and situation by situation. God has provided all of it to us, but he won't force it upon us. He could make sanctification, he could load it completely into his own court and say, I will provide it and I will force it upon you. But he doesn't do that. He provides it. There is the God part of it, but then there is the our part of our sanctification and holiness. And the our part is important because of what we learn and what we uh, and how we grow as a result of making the right decision uh, as Christians. What's built into uh, into our lives. So we have to choose that uh, day by day, situation by situation. God provides us, as Philippians 2 tells us, he provides us with the will, the desire uh, to live for God in the new nature. He provides us with the power to do so, but I have the freedom to determine whether I will or uh, I I won't. Uh, All of this is just perfectly and wonderfully expressed in the famous hymn, take my life and let it be. There could probably, uh, you know, you you couldn't write a better hymn for the present section of of what Paul is declaring here in terms of sanctification than that hymn. Let me sing it to you. Uh, I'll read you the lyrics. She writes, uh, take my life and let it be, consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days and let them flow in endless praise. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful uh, for thee. Take my voice and let me sing always only for my king. Take my lips and let them be filled with messages uh, from thee. Take my love, my Lord, I pour at thy feet its treasure store. Take myself and I will be ever only all for thee. And it is a beautiful song that expresses uh, the presentation and this great truth and key to sanctification. Well, we close now with the final word, the word uh, slave. And if you you can go through and circle all the places that slave is is used, and I, I think it's valuable in the book of Romans to uh, circle the word know and knowing in, in those, those early 10 verses, and then reckon in verse 11, and then present as it's used twice in verse 13, and then slave all the way through so that as we read our Bibles for the rest of our lives, uh, there the words are. They just pop off the four, four words that are key to our sanctification. But uh, here is the word slave that Paul uses eight times uh, in in these few verses that the victorious Christian life comes uh, with being a slave to God, and nothing less than that, nothing less than that. It comes with settling the issue of uh, Jesus' lordship within my life. I'd like us not to reread the entire section, but I do want us to reread two verses. Verse 16. Do you not know 
that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, uh, that you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. And then notice in verse 22, but now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and uh, the end everlasting life. There is no victorious Christian life that comes apart from recognizing the relationship that I am in with God as one uh, of a slave to a master. Now, in verse 16, Paul makes a a couple of very, very important points. And the first thing that he tells us is that as descendants of Adam and Eve, every single human being is born into the world a slave. Everyone is a slave. No human being, not one person in this room, not one person in this world gets to choose whether that is true of us. The sole choice that we have in this matter of slavery is what we will make ourselves a slave to. And Paul declares that in verse 16. The second thing that he reveals to us is that our master, everyone has a, has a master in their life, and that our master in this master-slave relationship that every single one of us is in, our master is revealed in who and what we present ourselves to obey, who or what we obey in life. Our master in life is that something that when it comes on the scene and it snaps its finger, we jump to attention and we obey it. And it can be sex, it can be drugs, it can be alcohol, it can be self, it can be a longing for reputation, it can be power, it can be angry, uh, anger, it can be selfish ambition, it can be envy, it can be bitterness, it can be pleasure, it can be materialism, it can even be man-originating religion. And all of this is so important to realize because so often people look at Christianity and they consider it to be a life of bondage, while the life of sin is a life of freedom. Uh, The life of sin is getting away with murder today. This idea that people look over at Christians and say they're in the bondage to some religious institution and and some God of the Bible and all of the commandments of the Bible, and, and then... The idea is uh, that the life of sin is just a complete life of freedom, and it's uh, nuts, uh, because Paul declares here uh, that the exact opposite is uh, is true. Freedom to sin, freedom to sin is a freedom of sorts, but being free uh, to merely choose What sin I'm going to be a slave to can hardly be considered freedom by any thinking person. And you look at the bondage that always results from disobedience to God's Word. Look at the the absolute 
uh, drug addiction epidemic uh, that marks the United States of America. And uh, look at the tent cities that number in the tens of thousands in L.A. now, something like 48,000 people living in a tent city in Los Angeles, and almost all of it going back to drug use and then the mental problems that explode into a person's life are simply frying a brain related to these things and and addiction. You look at uh, the addiction rates associated with sexual immorality. They're utterly depressing uh, related to it. Not only uh, the the physical action related to it, uh, but the rates of of sexual immorality related to uh, pornography today, the drunkenness, uh, uh, pleasure. Look at how many people are killing themselves under uh, under the addiction of, of selfishness. And again, it always makes me think of the old saying that sin isn't bad because it's forbidden. It's forbidden because it's bad. And that's an important distinction to understand. Paul makes it in his word. God recognizes it, but our culture does not. And if our culture doesn't make the distinction, we need to understand it, though, concerning our own lives. I I do wish people were as observant and as critical of the slavery aspects, of the sins that they commit as they uh, are of what they perceive to be the bondages of Christianity. But that, that's the Holy Spirit's problem. Uh, I remember uh, listening to a song, famous song, from uh, my growing up years, and uh, it was Chris Christopherson's song, Me and Bobby McGee. And uh, Janis Joplin sang, and, and she died of an overdose uh, before the song came out, and it was the best, most best-selling song that she ever had. Uh, Chris Christopherson's version is very good as well. Uh, but he, he wrote a line in there, freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose. And when you think about that, that line, it's, it's easy to think that, you know, what he was writing was to communicate the idea that, you know, kind of true freedom is found in living the life that you want without any kind of concern for the consequences. At least that's how, how I interpreted it for years. And, and then some time ago, reading an interview uh, that, that he had where he talked about how uh, the song came to an exi- into existence, and uh, he declared, no, I'm, I'm saying uh, the exact opposite uh, than, than that, that kind of interpretation of it. He, he said that essentially that it spoke of the, in his words of the two-edged sword that freedom is and uh, that we do have freedom, but it can end up destroying us. And that is very, very true. And it's the point that Paul is making here as well. In verses 16 through uh, 18, Paul declares that only a slavery uh, to God will ever free us from a slavery to sin. The word slave is a very, very strong word, very, very strong word, and, and, and it's intended to be. Uh, Paul uses it very, very deliberately. And, and what Paul is doing when he uses this term of slave in, in terms of our relationship with God, he's talking about the degree to which we are to surrender our lives to God. And again, I, I like to describe this as settling the issue of his lordship in my life. 
that he is the Lord, he is the king, and I am the master, not of portions of my life, but the entirety of my life. And many people, of course, are very, very eager to accept Jesus as their Savior, a Savior from sin, a Savior from death, a Savior from from hell, but they never come to a place of making Him the Lord of their lives. And that person, as I mentioned before, will never experience freedom from sin. The only way I am speaking to the numbskull that is me, but I speak to any other numbskulls in this room and, uh, and beyond this room that my voice might be going, the only way to escape becoming a slave of sin is to become a slave of God. There is no in-between. There is no in-between on that issue, and it is simple as that. Nothing short of that will, will work. And many, many Christians who, who feel that they have a sin problem in their lives because their life is dominated by sin, and uh, in reality what they have is a lordship problem. They have never, ever settled the issue of Jesus' lordship in their lives. They're still wanting to live the Christian life on their terms, where if they, are not, they, if they are not the Lord and King of every area of their life, they are still the Lord and King over vast portions of their life. And it is to know nothing about uh, the degree of commitment that God has called us to as Christians in this master-servant relationship uh, with Him. Uh, Jesus was unapologetic about it. He put it as black and white clear when he said to his disciples, didn't say to the pagan world, uh, this isn't a, a moral observation that he's making. He said to people who were already Christians, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow after me. And when he said that, That is something that is intended to be taken serious by everyone who intends to follow him. And to fail to follow him with that kind of demand that he puts upon us is to fail to follow him. It is to fail to come after him. And the importance for us uh, as Christians to not live a life thinking that that's a nice verse in the Bible, it would make a wonderful plaque within my home, but to realize uh, that Jesus wasn't kidding when he said it. And to explain away this level of commitment that Jesus calls us to in this relationship with him, or to live short of this kind of commitment that Jesus calls us to, will forever keep us vulnerable to an ongoing bondage to sin within our lives. We will simply camp there and live there. The life that Jesus has called us to, and the Holy Spirit desires to lead us into. Paul encapsulated it, and the slavery in his life in this way, Galatians 2.20. He said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. 
Yet not I, but Christ lives in me, and the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And it's so important in this wishy-washy, I don't know what Christianity that prevails within our culture, a cultural Christianity, it is so important not to get sucked into that. I speak to those that are under you, under my pastoral care, and to realize that freedom is found only in a full-blown, total, radical, complete, and obedient commitment to God. And Paul calls on every Christian to make exactly that commitment. And the ironic thing about becoming a slave to God is that it results in freedom, and it results in the greatest and the truest freedom of all, and from not freedom uh, to sin, but freedom from sin. Famously, and it was a part of one of our worship songs this morning, John, Jesus declared this in John chapter 8. Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, he said, if you abide in my word, you're my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And they answered, the religious leaders that were standing around him, he said, we're Abraham's descendants. We've never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will make, uh, be made free? And Jesus answered them, and he said, Verily, verily, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. And therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed, or truly free. Again, Dylan got it right in his uh, song, uh, Got to Serve Somebody. And again, on Slow Train Coming, he said, uh, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. Uh, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. There is a clarity. <laughs> there is a clarity to his thinking at that moment in his life in terms of, uh, of the choices that there are only really two choices in life, uh, and that is the devil uh, or the Lord. And uh, Dylan's album, Slow Train Coming, came out in 1979. I got going with the Lord in 1980. And the truths that were in these couple of songs that I've mentioned here this morning, they were foundational. They drove home this point early in my Christian life. And so I, I quote them uh, this morning. There must come a point in our lives when we settle the issue of Jesus' lordship in our lives, not merely a Savior, but also my Lord and my Master. And I'm to obey Him in His Word and long to and love to as much as any slave uh, uh, would obey a, a, a king or a sovereign in the ancient world. That is the, the degree of our commitment to Him. He is the master, and I am the slave in this relationship. That's the place to, I'm to give Him. Number one, because He's worthy of it. But number two, because we will never know the victorious Christian life if we get those two roles backwards. It is only in having that kind of a relationship with him that we will know the victorious uh, Christian life. 
Paul closes the section by telling us in verses 20 and 21 that there's no shame ever to be found in a life of slavery to God. A life of sin always ends in guilt. It always ends uh, in shame. But there is no, not an ounce, not a pound, not a moment of shame that will ever be experienced in being a slave to God. In fact, every single commandment of God in His Word is written in order to protect us from regret and to protect us from shame. It's a privilege, uh, Paul is saying, to obey God's commandments and, and to be his, his slave. If you sit here this morning and you're not yet a Christian, it's wonderful news to realize that God not only provides us and wants to provide you with the forgiveness of sins, but He wants to provide you with an entirely different quality of life and a victory over the sin that has taken you into bondage. And maybe you can look and say, yes, I can name not one, uh, but two, three, four, five, six sins that on any given day they want to come into the room and snap their finger, and I, uh, uh, though I hate myself for it, I snap to attention and I obey them every time, and I hate myself for it, and I want to be uh, free uh, from that. And Paul declares here that the stakes in terms of choosing whether to make sin my master or make God my master, it's, it's, it's way bigger than just freedom from sin. Uh, but he wants to supply that to us. But our everlasting life and where we spend eternity is at stake uh, as well. And the importance of putting your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins this morning and then becoming a slave uh, of God, and then not only receiving the forgiveness of sins and everlasting life, but now receiving the blessing of uh, freedom from sin, and now to enter into a life uh, that not one decision will bring uh, shame into your life as, as a result of it. And all of, their, all of it is, is, is there for the asking, and thus uh, the invitation that Paul gives in verse 23 uh, to everyone in this room, everyone in the whole world, to receive the gift of forgiveness and everlasting life in making Jesus Christ not only our Savior, but you notice the final word of verse 23, our Lord, it's the point, it's the point of, of sanctification in the whole passage. And there are going to be pastors and other men and women up in front immediately after the service and they'd love to pray with you to make that uh, commitment to God, receive that salvation, and receive that victory into your life this morning. And it's all there for the asking and, and all there uh, for the receiving. I think it's important for us, and I, I have no interest in, not at this point in, in, in time in my Christian life or, or, or doing it to, uh, to anyone to make it uh, any sermon a, a guilt gotcha. Um, I'm a grown man. And you're grown men and women. And you, know, and you know I've been faithful to declare the word to you this morning. You see it right in, in the verses that I've declared it to you. And so I'm not going to humiliate someone or browbeat someone. We all know in our own heart whether we have a relationship with God that is marked by these things and most especially marked by the fact that he really is the Lord of my life. I view him as a sovereign and I have an attitude and a fear of him and a respect for him and a thankfulness to him 
that, uh, that I wouldn't uh, want to take my life under my own control or hurt him or betray him in any way any more than any slave in the ancient world uh, would have done. And if that's something short of the commitment, maybe you knew it once in your life, but you've drifted away from it, or maybe you've never had it in your life as a Christian. You got the fire insurance somewhere, but you never got this other part of the Christian life, and you continue to be dominated by sin. Then before you leave the room today, whether you want to pray with somebody up in front or just in the privacy of your own heart in the room, to settle that issue of of his lordship within your life, to get those roles reversed now, and then to be able to enjoy many, many new things that come with it, but uh, for our purposes this morning, the victorious Christian life. Let's stand together now and we'll pray. Father, thank you for the strength of your word. Nobody talks like this in the world anymore. It's all hemming and hawing and wishing and washing and, and, uh, and uh, nobody's feelings can be hurt and, and there's no clarity and there's no right and there's no wrong and the whole world is adrift and, and people are sinking in sin and, and in self by the uncountable tens and hundreds of millions. And we thank you for the privilege of being able to open your book up this morning and to be able to read what is not only true on the earth but is also true in heaven and true about us. And we pray, Lord, that however this victorious Christian life, wherever we are in the progression of it, Lord, we want to thank you this morning for how far you have brought each of us as Christians in sanctification. And this morning, with a whole heart, Lord, we invite you to continue to take us by the hand and bring us uh, fully and completely into the joy and the peace and the lack of shame and the freedom uh, that is found there. Take us further and further and further into it, Lord, all the days of our life. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.